Thanks for taking time out of your day to join us here on The Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so that you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website. Clarkdeals.com, our booming bargain site where the deal diggers are always looking for ways to save you money. Coming up in just a few minutes in today's Clark Rageous Moment, Wells Fargo is added again a twofer on Wells Fargo. Why you should really think about why you would ever do business with this criminal enterprise imitating a bank. And later yet today, we're going to talk about how one state with a federal waiver has come up with a way to significantly lower the cost of health insurance premiums. I want to tell you what they're doing and where it very well might be a good model for the rest of the country to be looking at to rein in runaway health care costs for individuals. By the way, health care costs for everyone are rising at way beyond the rate of inflation. But for individuals is where the hurt has been the worst. Speaking of hurting, the people of Texas and parts of Louisiana, very small number of areas still underwater. But those where the water has moved away are left with absolute paths of destruction they're having to deal with. Personal possessions destroyed. Uh, We talk a lot about homeowners and how 80 plus percent were not insured for flood and they're on their own. But something I have failed to mention to this point is that the Houston metro area has a massive rental population. Huge number of people who are renters. As a lot of people go to Houston without a lot of resources, but go to find jobs that may pay a fair amount of money. And those renters are hurting so many different ways. Their possessions wiped out. The place they were living no longer occupiable. Nowhere to go. I mean, this is a slow-moving, absolute human tragedy. You know, property will be dealt with over time, and it will take time. And eventually, the Houston metro area will make a very nice recovery. But the individuals who've been set back have a very, very difficult time. You know, it... The Houston metro area is one of those parts of America where the only way to get to work for more than 90% of the population is in your own vehicle. And somewhere potentially as high as a million vehicles destroyed by flooding. And so these people face real hardship with that. The most important thing you and I can do to help is if you can is to donate be very wary of all the crowdfunding that's popping up for hurricane relief in texas and instead look to the most well-known 
and respected charitable organizations in looking at where you're going to donate money. As I said last week, do not donate over the phone. Do not donate at a street corner. You can donate at stores, you know, supermarkets, collecting money on behalf of well-known and recognized charities doing hurricane relief. But use your head and your heart together in how and where you give money. On the issue of the vehicles, those roughly million cars, and when I say cars, I mean pickup trucks, SUVs, vans, vehicles. I got to learn to say vehicles since two-thirds of vehicles sold now are not passenger cars. Anyway, over the next six to nine months, a huge number of those vehicles are going to be cleaned up, dressed up, and sold to unknowing buyers around the country without any disclosure that the vehicle has been destroyed in the floods. So there are now a number of sources that will become more important, not right now, but over the next few months, where you'll be able to check to see if a vehicle was in the the floods of Harvey. But a lot of vehicles that were flooded did not have insurance that covered floods. They didn't have comprehensive on them. So those vehicles aren't going to end up in a database showing that they were flood cars. Which brings me to something I always tell you, and that is anytime you're buying a used vehicle, but now more so than ever, because these flood vehicles, have it inspected by a mechanic of your choosing as a condition of purchase. That's how you're going to protect yourself from the problem with the flooded vehicles. You know, one other angle with Harvey, this is the first natural disaster that drones are being used for damage and insurance claims. And any of a number of insurers are using drones because they raise the productivity of an adjuster by, I don't know if it's a factor of five or ten, but it's a huge improvement in how many properties an adjuster can visit. And in the case of a roof, allows an adjuster to do a far greater and more detailed examination of damage to a roof than existed prior. And as state laws change, because insurance is regulated by the states, you will see drones as an accompaniment to adjusters as a routine thing as we deal with not necessarily storms, any circumstance where you have a claim on your homeowner's insurance. Michelle is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Michelle, you want to talk storms in Mexico. How are you doing? Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Certainly. Um, so the situation is our family, our extended family from all different um, areas of the country are traveling down to Cancun um, to celebrate my parents' 50th wedding anniversary uh, the week of November. And the, the, they've rented a home that is um, in a gated community. Um, but I'm just very concerned because of the travel warning that's come out of the Cancun area. Oh, not based on a hurricane, but based on 
violence on the ground. Exactly. Oh, all right. So the thing with Cancun and also with Cabo, which were both a focus of the recent State Department warning, is uh-huh. that if you're staying in a private compound with yes. security levels that are way beyond anything we're normally used to mm-hmm. in the United States, you have, I would say, as close to zero to worry about as you could possibly have staying in one of the compounds. Okay. And the the dangers in terms of violence have generally not involved tourists but if tourists are are more like me where they're more adventurous and they just wander off on their own Uh this is not a time to do that in cancun or on the yucatan peninsula or in cabo you know in baja california this is not the time to just wander off okay so go ahead so um well okay so many questions on this on this so First of all, the drive from, we fly into Cancun, and it's supposedly an hour and a half drive to this home gated community. I'm concerned about um, driving on the roads. It's going to be, you know, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, so it's not, you know, it's going to be light out. Um, and supposedly it is a four-lane, two-lane highway. And I'm just concerned. I mean, it, I've heard it's okay, but I'm just you know, I'm being very cautious, and so I'm wondering how that could be. And then once we get to the home, questions on, like you said, we have been offered some excursions and different opportunities to go off-site doing some things, but I'm not wanting to do that because of the warning. So once we get to the home, is it best to stay there, or would we be safe going on a some type of excursion? I can't tell you it would be 100% safe going on excursions, particularly with the concern I hear clearly in your voice. Yeah. And the whole idea of going there for this 50th anniversary feels somehow wrong to you because of the warnings. Mm -hmm. And so I can't tell you, yeah, everything's going to be perfect and don't worry at all. But Mm -hmm. you have to look at life in terms of what are the levels, the true levels of risk. And at this Mm -hmm. point, for people staying in protected tourist areas, the risk is really near zero. And on the major highways, the tourism dollars are so important to Mexico that I think you'll see uh, significantly stepped up enforcement to make sure that tourists moving from the Cancun airport to various resort areas will be on very well-patrolled highways. Okay. You know, they don't have a lot they have to protect because it's pretty linear getting mm-hmm. from the airport in Cancun to the resorts. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as excursions, I would not book any excursions this far ahead and before you're on the ground. I think you okay. really need to see your level of comfort. And mm-hmm. different members of, of the reunion group will feel differently. Exactly. You know, listening mm-hmm. to you, it sounds to me like you should just enjoy that compound. <laughs> That's what I think I'm, I'm going to be doing is just uh, enjoying being there with my family and not worrying about traveling off 
off the area. But you know, if other family members feel comfortable and, and they make the calculated decision to go see some ruins or whatever, uh, or they want to go do scuba or whatever, let them yeah. go do it. Okay. okay. But as so, far so- as not taking the trip and you're going to be in a secure facility like that, I would say I would not feel nervous about taking the trip. I think you'll be okay. Ruth Ann is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Ruth Ann, I'm really sorry to hear you lost your husband last year. Thank you. Thank you very much. How can I be of service to you? Well, um, since he died, I have not removed his name from our checking or savings accounts. He's also still on uh, our major credit card and some store credit cards and the home mortgage. And I'm wondering how quickly I need to get these changed over to my name only and whether identity theft of a deceased person is a threat here? There is, there is a problem with identity theft of the identity of the deceased, but I'm, I'm more concerned with you going ahead. Are you, was there a will? Are you the executor or was there no will at the time your husband died? No, there was a will, and I, I have I have sole ownership of everything now. All right. So if you are the executor, do you know if the accounts were set up where they automatically become yours at time of your husband's passing? Uh, I know that the yes, the savings and the the, cre- the excuse me, the checking account do. Yeah. So uh, I would go in, show them the paperwork, show them that you're the executor, and just go ahead and process so that the accounts are just in your name. On the, the only thing you had, as far as uh, changing the status of credit cards, the yes. cards that you have that were in both names, do you happen to know with those if you were a co-owner or an authorized user on any of those? I would imagine I was the co-owner. I'm probably actually the one who set everything up and put his name on them. So the, you should not have a problem with the credit card companies saying, well, you're out of here now. You should be okay if you were actually the one whose credit was relied upon for those. Okay, so I, I can change them to my name without any trouble, but there again, do I need to worry about how quickly I do this? You know, nobody's come after you saying, why are you still listing these in both your names? You, you've been through a grieving process. The fact that it's taking you a while is just fine. The, and the, I don't have to worry about somebody opening an account or something in his name since he's you know, still on a card? Wouldn't worry about that. Okay. What I am more interested in is the mortgage. When okay. you inform the mortgage company uh, what happens with your mortgage... And did you have any help from a lawyer involved with your husband's passing? Uh, just that he said it was clear-cut and he, his office filed it in the, in the courthouse for me. Right. The one question I would ask is I'd ask about the mortgage and the right way to inform the mortgage company. Okay. Because you don't want anything to happen where they say, oh, the mortgage is now due and payable. And that's why talking with the lawyer about the mortgage before you proceed in notifying the mortgage company would be something I would do as a, as a step before you contact them. And again, I'm sorry about your loss, Ruthann. Be warned and be wary. The Wells Fargo stuff just gets uglier and uglier when you're looking for a bank. 
you are warned that Wells Fargo is tarnished beyond imagination. If you are an existing customer, you need to really think about, is this where you want to do your banking? On the fake account scandal, Wells has now belatedly admitted that it was three and a half million fake bank and credit card accounts that were opened instead of two million. And on top of that, they have now discovered that over half a million known so far, people were signed up for bill pay who didn't sign up for it. Number of people affected with fees they shouldn't have had, at least in the hundreds of thousands. Then on top of it, there's a new budding scandal involving Wells Fargo gouging people on mortgages at the last minute. We'll see how the courts determine on that one. Be aware. Welcome to the Clark Howard Show, where you learn ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website. Clark.com slash ask for you to ask a question on the show. You also can ask a question off the air, talk with a member of our team. That's free. We do that nine hours a day, Monday to Friday. And if you go to Clark.com, move down that front screen, you'll see how to call in. The number to call hours, everything you need to know. Healthcare is a conundrum we've had such a hard time figuring out as a country for three generations now. The cost of healthcare keeps going up far beyond the rate of economic growth or inflation in the United States. And we now spend more than double a share of national income on healthcare here versus any other developed country. So those are all the problems. And we've struggled to come up with solutions that work. The Congress had a terrible time trying to figure out how to deal with health care for individuals, what is generally referred to as Obamacare. But the state of Minnesota has done something that kind of fits what I talked about earlier this year. And what they've done in Minnesota is... They have created reinsurance for health care for individuals so that if somebody who's getting individual coverage in the state of Minnesota ends up with a terrible illness that, in addition to them trying to get well, it's incredibly expensive, instead of that boosting premiums for everybody else, they are kind of cordoned off, not with having to get different health care or anything, But a lot of the cost is absorbed through reinsurance, which is where the first level of risk is handled by the premiums people pay in and the insurer they're with. But if suddenly somebody ends up with a multi-million dollar illness or whatever, they are still getting coverage as they are, but a lot of that cost is being absorbed by the reinsurance. The result has been... Healthcare premiums for individuals in Minnesota are falling while they've been rising elsewhere. And as we try to figure out how we're going to provide health coverage to individuals in the country, states using their creativity as living laboratories, I think, are going to be a key part of it. Instead of having a top down Washington one-size-fits-all solution, allowing individual states to experiment and come up with a way to serve their citizens 
is absolutely where we should be looking. One thing I don't believe in and I don't believe works are high-risk pools, which has been the default position of so many people in the healthcare debate. Risk pools flat out do not work where you cordon off people with a serious illness or chronic condition and put them in a penalty box. Those programs always collapse there's never enough money when you cordon people off who are really, really ill. Austin is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Austin. Hello. How are you doing, Clark? Great. Thank you, Austin. You want to talk about the cryptocurrencies, like Bitcoin. Yep. Yes, sir. That's, that's what I had read about was Bitcoin in particular, about how it jumped. I read an article about... Um, if you bought, I believe it was $150 worth of Bitcoin today, it would be around, I think it was $3 million or so. I'm not sure if that's Bitcoin itself or if it's stock or if there's a difference. So Bitcoin, uh, for most of its history, traded in a very, very narrow band. And then starting late spring this year, the value of Bitcoin went berserk and is now at roughly $4,400 a Bitcoin. And right. so that has gotten a lot of people's attention, that uh, there are these stories of people who took just you know a few hundred dollars and now they have tons of money and all that. But Bitcoin is a virtual money. It's a made-up money. It's a computer-generated money. And there are lots of imitators... And a lot of the ones that have been issued in what are known as ICOs, initial coin offerings, have lost 100% of people's money. You know, so, so do you think that trend will turn around ever? You know, you got to think about what the idea of a cryptocurrency is. It's an alternative way of paying for things versus traditional government-issued money. And if a... If a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin was truly a viable alternative to government-issued money, it would not be going up and down at such crazy rates. It would just go slow and steady like real money does. So this is a gamble. This is speculating. It's not anything like real investing. So it doesn't. It doesn't convert to cash? Yeah, well, it depends on the cryptocurrency. Bitcoin, you can even go to Bitcoin ATMs and turn Bitcoins that you hold into U.S. money, into actual cash at an ATM. So, yes, yeah, some of these uh, cryptocurrencies are convertible to money, but the thing is, what I'm saying is, the way they've gone up and down in Bitcoin after just kind of hanging out for years, suddenly skyrocketing, that is not the way real money works. And so any money you put into something like this with any of the cryptos needs to be money you can afford to lose. Right. So well, it's not investing. I mean, they're, they're not making anything. They're not coming up with new inventions. They're not coming up with new products or services. It's just if it's an alternative form of payment, you should be able to buy one 
and be comfortable in the value it has. But to buy one and think, well, this is a way I'm going to have my money go to the moon, that's, that's not how these things are supposed to play out. So I'm really worried, Austin, about people buying into these cryptocurrencies with money they really need and having that money wiped out and then they're wiped out. Right. So only play with money that you can afford to say, ah, well, do you go to casinos? Um, I'm not a really a big fan of those, really. I, I go every once in a while. Well, this is, this is casino kind of stuff. And so this is for people who have a gambling kind of personality. If that's not really your thing, stay away. Julie joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Julie. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Julie, you want to buy a business? Yes, I do. Tell me about that. Well, it's a production company that's um, going on, and they're interested in selling it. However, the loans that we're looking at are going to be put against our house, and I'm uncomfortable with that. Ooh. How much is it going to cost you to buy the business? 100000 Okay. And is it owned by an individual or a family? Yes. So they're not going to like what I'm about to tell you. Okay. Financing for a business you're buying that is of that size, almost always the financing is provided by the sellers. Okay. And that's because with an existing business of that size, being able to borrow money to buy that is, is it's just not a common thing of being able to do. So the lender is treating it as a loan of ultra high risk, and that's why they want it secured by your home. Okay, so you can't use the assets of the company as um, collateral? Generally not for a privately held company. Okay. And that's why owner financing is so often done. Okay. Now, I do want to give you one alternative, because if somebody does owner financing, they're not going to write the loan to you at a song of a rate of interest. Right. And that is, if you're a Sam's Club member, Sam's offers a small business lending program that lends money up to north of $300,000. We are Sam's Club members. So I would look at, go to their services button and look at the small business loans they do. Okay, thank you. And see if that would be of any help to you. But the sellers of this business are likely aware that the typical buyer is going to need them to finance the purchase. You pay down payment. How much down payment of that 100000 can you come up with? Um, potentially six to 10000 they're going to want more than that. Mm-hmm. They're going to want uh, probably 20 before they would finance the rest. Okay. So uh, if you can come up with a way of proposing to them that you give them 20 down and you pay them monthly for so many years, that works really well for you. They may not like it so much for them, but that's how most small business transactions happen. Heather is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Heather. Hi there. How you doing, Heather? Just fine, Clark. Nice to talk to you. Nice to have you here. You want to talk about credit issues. 
Well, not so much just the credit issue, but the effect it can have on your insurance. And I know you tell people that credit is a big part of what you pay for insurance, even if that's ridiculous. So uh, having listened to you for a long time, it occurred to me finally that because my credit history and my husband differ so much, I would call our insurance agency and ask them to re-quote us using me as primary instead of him. And in doing so, we've saved $940 for the year between a homeowner's policy and the insurance policies on the cars, which are obviously only six months. But if you double that, it's $940 for the year. Wait, wait, wait. You are brilliant. Do you know that? You already knew that, right? This is brilliant. I, I thought it made a huge amount of sense once it occurred to me, but I was surprised it took so long considering how often you talk about insurance being such an important... No one has ever mentioned this possibility or idea. When you get... uh, Most states allow insurers to set rates at whatever degree they wish, which in a lot of states, the primary factor in setting auto and homeowners insurance isn't claims history or tickets on a car or anything, you know, driving or anything like that. It's what your credit score is. And usually they take the the uh, social security number of one of the two in a couple and this is a perfect opportunity to shop based on whichever person in a couple has the higher credit score. Well I will say my credit is frozen and so it was a soft hit on my credit because I did not need to thaw my credit in order to switch it to me and we just added a teen driver to our policy And even though that teen driver is exactly the same driver as she was under my husband's policy, the insurance for her went from $606 a half down to less than $350. What great advice you have just given. You know, this makes you, Heather, a member of Team Clark. Thank you. I feel proud to join the club. Well, I appreciate the advice and what a good idea. And that will come up again on our show. And... I want to credit you for building my level of knowledge here. Happy to help. It's the least I can do to repay so much that I've learned from you. Well, you were kind. And uh, what something that Heather mentioned, I want you to think about. Heather's credit is frozen as well. If you have not looked at the process of freezing your credit, you should really think about it. There was yet another data breach over the last few days involving nearly a million people. And so these data breaches, a lot of them you don't even know have happened. And before you know it, somebody is pretending to be you and you're left to clean up the mess with a credit freeze. You don't eliminate every potential risk of identity theft, but you eliminate most of them. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. 
Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. AJ's with us on the Clark Howard Show. How are you doing? Hello. So you have a question for me about something that nobody ever asked me about anymore. Mm-hmm. I have a question about the reprinting the bank checks. Yes. Because banks are charging now tremendously for 100 checks, about 35 to $40. Yeah, it's not unusual. In fact, I, I heard this past week about a bank that's charging $50 for 50 checks. A dollar a check. Check and yeah, that's uh, so. I just want to know: is there any private company or website that trustworthy? Oh yeah, oh yeah. In fact, checks? there are several high-volume producers of checks that advertise in every Sunday newspaper. You know, in the colorful uh, supplements that are in a Sunday newspaper, you'll see initial uh-huh. check order forms where you pay. to order checks. If you look online and you just Mm -hmm. do uh, whatever search engine you like, you just put the word checks in the search engine and you'll find a lot of people that are selling books of checks for $5 plus shipping. Is it trustworthy? Completely. 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 Yeah, uh, there are just a small number of companies that print checks in the country both for the banks and credit unions and also have oftentimes a separate name they use for consumers and then the warehouse clubs will sell you checks but most people write so few checks now that a standard check order used to be 200 checks and now it's pretty common that a standard check order will be 40 or 50 checks because gosh in my case that would last, 50 checks would last how many years now? Because I never write checks anymore. Uh, and, you know, banking is going through such a transition now. I'm on the wait list for something called meetbeam.com, which is supposedly a new ultra pro-consumer online bank that's starting up in the next several weeks. And so I'm waiting for my invite to check it out for you. But they're promoting that they're going to pay interest on your account of 2 to 4%. Saying and doing, those are two different things, but I'm going to keep you aware of that. But the check business is one that is in such steep decline because we do everything electronically today, and the only reason I can think of I've ever written a check is because there was some circumstance that I just had to issue a paper check, kicking and screaming, I'll write that paper check. Why? Because nobody, I mean nobody, can ever read my handwriting. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I appreciate you spending part of your day with us here on The Clark Howard Show. I want you to know that if you need consumer advice, we're here to serve you off-air for free nine hours a day if you go to clark.com and go down the home screen you'll see a section consumer help and tools click on consumer action center and you can get that free off the air advice